Hello, folks. We're down the line from Cape Cod once again tonight with political analyst, author, and historian Dr. James D. Boys. I'm Michael L. Roberts. This is the American Chronicle. do warmly welcome you to this 19th episode of the American Chronicle, an episode that takes place in a a quiet week in American politics and uh, a week that leaves us overreaching for subject matter, as it were. I began tonight's episode then by asking James what, in his professional opinion, the hell is going on. Well, I've, I've used Jeb Bush's line before, and, it, and it's appropriate to use it again. You know, Donald Trump has been, uh, was a, ca- a chaos candidate. He's been a chaos president, and he's clearly a chaotic uh, candidate for re-election here in 2020. Um, uh, uh, they don't say that a week is a long time in politics. Well, a week seems like an eternity in politics at the moment. The idea that it was... Uh, uh, only a week ago that uh, we were thinking that the big news leading into the final days of the, of the election would be with regard to the New York Times story about Donald Trump's tax returns. And then, of course, there was uh, the, the first presidential debate, which, of course, caused much uh, to do around the world and which, of course, we, we spent last, uh, last, the last podcast talking about. Mm. Uh, since then, you know, a few things have happened, <laughs> to put it mildly, uh, not least of which, of course, uh, is the revelation that Donald Trump himself uh, has come down with, with COVID, along with, it must be said, uh, a number of other people, uh, not least of which, of course, is the First Lady, about whom very little is being said here, it, mm, it must mm. be said. Um, Stephen Miller, uh, the, uh, the President's advisor, uh, the President's press secretary, uh, and a whole host of other people around the President are, are now uh, sick or with symptoms of COVID, most of which seems to have focused upon a press conference that was held at the White House to unveil the president's nominee for the Supreme Court. Uh, some people might, of course, look at this and say, well, um, uh, this, is, uh, this is ironic. Uh, many people thought, of course, that that was an event that should never have been happening in the first place because mm. it was inappropriate considering what the Republicans had done four years ago with regard to Merrick Garland. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that... Uh, some uh, critics of the president will be looking at this and saying, well, there's a degree to which this is the chickens coming home to roost. Um, That, of course, would be a a very um, unsympathetic uh, approach to take. No one would wish this ailment on anybody, quite frankly. Um, But very, very clearly, uh, things have changed significantly. Donald Trump was hospitalized at Walter Reed Medical Hospital uh, over the weekend. He dramatically discharged himself, effectively, and in a uh, a flurry that was reminiscent of uh, uh, Francis Coppola's uh, uh, Ride of the Valkyries sequence from Apocalypse Now, uh, at, at, at best and at worst, more of a, a Rennie Leifshin style, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, triumph of the will uh, approach, uh, <laughs> landed on the White House lawn uh, on Marine One and then reco- immediately recorded 
a, a video cast to the nation, basically telling the American citizens not to worry so much about this. Um, don't worry about it. It's only caused 200,000 deaths and hospitalized an American president in what was seen as the worst uh, health crisis for an American president since Ronald Reagan was shot uh, outside the Washington Hilton in 19. 81. Um, so much so that many people, myself included, were asked uh, across various media channels to discuss the implications of the 25th Amendment, uh, which of course deals with the transfer of power from an ailing American president. So, you know, we've seen an awful lot over the, car the last couple of days. Um, there is more yet to come. Uh, the chaos surrounding Donald Trump continues uh, and will no doubt continue uh, for the next uh, four weeks and arguably beyond whatever happens on election day in November. Hmm. Before we launch into the inevitable uh, discussion and uh, detailing of, of the somewhat incredulous series of events surrounding uh, Donald Trump and his own uh, uh, unique brand of coronavirus, shall we say, I was watching back our Sunday supplement uh, this morning and wanted to ask you something before I forgot. What was the, in terms of rushing through Amy Coney Barrett's uh, uh, nomination, as it were, for, for the Supreme Court, what are the benefits to Trump uh, in terms of the election and perhaps events uh, immediately after the election of, of ensuring that uh, she was in situ around that time? So, so getting uh, appointees confirmed to the Supreme Court was a major reason, I think, that Donald Trump was elected in the first place. Four years ago, I'm sure there were many moderate Republicans who took great issue with Donald Trump personally, but figured, you know what, if we don't have a Republican president, we won't get Republican nominees to the bench. We'll have nominees put forward by President Hillary Clinton, and that will help show, shape the court for a generation. Well, guess what? They should be quite happy. Donald Trump has now moved to name his third appointment to the Supreme Court. Uh, it looks very much as though uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, will be working very closely with Donald Trump to make sure that nomination goes through. Mm -hmm. um, to directly answer your question, there are several uh, benefits. A, um, by ramming this through now effectively, um, he, he ensures that this is Donald Trump's nominee uh, that uh, gets con uh, considered and almost certainly confirmed by this Senate. Uh, because, of course, the election that comes up in, in November, which we're focusing upon, isn't just to decide who it is that's going to be president of the United States moving forward from January, but also will decide the fate of one third of the United States Senate, and along with it, members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, not least of which is, is people like Lindsey Graham, for example, who's uh, facing a, a, a tough fight for re-election. So if... You know, if, if the nominee were to wait uh, until after the election, as of course Mitch McConnell insisted on happening four years ago, mm. um, it could very well end up not being Donald Trump's uh, nominee, but President Biden's nominee that goes to a Senate, which may not be controlled by the Republicans, but controlled by the Democrats. So you could end up with an entirely different nominee being considered by a Senate with a very different makeup if um, the Democrats were to have a great night come election night. Right. So the reason the Republicans want to basically put this through as fast as possible is they want to consider, A, Donald Trump's nominee to the Supreme Court, who has been put forward, as, we, as you rightly point out. B, they want to make sure it's them, they themselves, who are controlling the process because they control the majority in the United States Senate. And under the, the rules that were uh, changed in the last decade or so, 
you only now need a straight majority to confirm, not a supermajority, which of course they have. Hmm. Uh, and C, uh, if there is any debate and discussion and appeals with regard to the election come hmm. uh, the first week of November, and that were to go to the Supreme Court for its final say, guess what? Uh, you'd be looking at a 6-3 Republican majority and three of those six uh, re uh, Republican appointees would have been nominated by, guess who, Donald Trump. Now, it should be pointed out, of course, that we've seen appointees to the Supreme Court defy the president who, who had previously appointed them. Uh, very famously, uh, Earl Warren, who was put forward by Dwight D. Eisenhower, uh, routinely uh, bucked uh, Republican orthodoxy, was later referred to by Eisenhower as the worst darn mistake I ever did make, uh, and very, very much came in line and was seen as a, almost like a Kennedy uh, justice. Indeed, it was Earl Warren who, who uh, delivered the oath of office to John F. Kennedy, and of course, it's the same Earl Warren whose name was given to the Warren Report mm -hmm. into the president's subsequent assassination. So the idea that these three nominees by Trump will simply fall in line with whatever it is that Donald Trump thinks, wants, uh, or says is, is not true. Uh, however, you'd have to say that on the balance of probability, they'd be more likely to favor a Republican um, approach to law and order uh, and to interpretations of the Constitution. So both the Republican leadership in the Senate and particularly Donald Trump, I think, want to make sure that there is a a complete court because at the moment of course there is a an eight person court due to the uh, the vacancy uh, which could result in a in a tie if there was a vote uh, and b of course they want to make sure that they get uh, their latest addition onto the court so that if there is an appeal to the supreme court around the election or as well don't forget there are other court cases involving president trump that could end up at the supreme court not least of which coming out of the new york southern district for example, uh, that they have as favorable uh, a bench as possible uh, to consider uh, anything in the president's favor. Mm. Thank you for that. Yes, it was the uh, electoral uh, impact that, that I was interested in there mm -hmm. in terms of the extent to which the Supreme Court had uh, had some power plays within that mix and uh, a nice little uh, comparison with the Warren Commission there uh, in the typical James Boyce fashion. Let's um, let's delve into the uh, the Trump and Corona situation, and I'd like to begin with uh, this notion that he and members of his team were infected, uh, and yet allegedly then, knowing that, moved around and uh, engaged with rallies and press conferences and otherwise. Can you speak to the veracity or lack thereof of these uh, stories, please? So, at the height of the Watergate hearings, uh, the expression which came to define. Uh, those events was this. What did the president know and when did he know it? Uh, clearly the great question at the moment is, when did the president know he was sick and what did he do about it? Um, right now, nobody seems to be able to answer those questions. The, um, the deputy deputy White House press secretary uh, that was put forward to answer questions uh, last night on the media uh, because everybody else was sick, quite frankly, was asked categorically, do you know when the president uh, last tested negative for this, even if you won't tell us? Um, mm. Realizing, I think, that there was a, a, a concerted effort by the White House not to reveal when that was, uh, just asking if you actually did know when that was. And even that question got a fudged answer. 
Um, so the, the great debate, of course, is not uh, just did Donald Trump travel uh, to rallies last week and possibly infect people in places like, uh, I think it was New Jersey he went to. Mm. Is it possible that Donald Trump had this going into the debate last Tuesday uh, and knew about it? Mm. Um, is that possibly why he gave such a rambling, incoherent and, uh, and uh, odd performance in a debate, for example. Um, now, Joe Biden has been tested for, for coronavirus subsequently and has come up negative. But what is telling is that pretty much everybody who was involved with the president's debate preparation, including people like Chris Christie mm-hmm. uh, and all his press entourage, have pretty much come down with this from the president on downwards, Hope Hicks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it, it would be remarkable, I think, if it were to emerge that the president didn't have this on last Tuesday going into the debate. Right. Can't prove that. And I doubt at this point whether the White House is going to release any medical files to that effect, because mm. very clearly, if you watch the news over the weekend, the way that the president's medical condition has been uh, addressed, uh, spoken to by a phalanx of White House physicians in their ominous white coats outside uh, the Walter Reed Medical Center, uh, this has more of a uh, sort of a North Korean appearance to it uh, than uh, something that you'd usually see here in what's meant to be the heart of democracy. So um, the extent to which Donald Trump uh, had this last week, knew about it and traveled anyway, uh, is clearly going to be something which I imagine questions will continue to be asked about in the days and weeks that follows. Uh, but very clearly, Donald Trump has tried to downplay this, downplay the severity of it, um, but more and more people are being affected by it. I said the people who were with him on the debate prep have clearly uh, come down with, uh, with the same virus. People who were at the, the press conference to unveil President Trump's appointee to the Supreme Court have come down with this. Um, whilst he was at Walter Reed Medical Center over the weekend, he thought it appropriate to get dressed, get into uh, the presidential limousine uh, and ride out to the, uh, the gates to uh, to uh, sort of say hello effectively to those uh, admirers who would uh, gather to offer their support. Uh, and of course, in the, in the process, almost certainly exposed his secret service agents uh, to the coronavirus. Mm. Uh, then he flew back to the White House on Marine One. Uh, you know, there were pilots on that, on that aircraft uh, who could have almost certainly been exposed when he landed at the White House. Uh, he was trailed by the, uh, the official White House photographer uh, who uh, many people noticed was in the, the back of the, uh, the live feed of Donald Trump uh, as he uh, ran up the steps into the White House and, and spoke and, and, and appeared on the balcony. He took his mask off in her presence. Um, you know, so, you know, he, he has become the epicenter, if you will, of the coronavirus in the White House itself. So uh, this is a remarkable development. Uh, you would have thought that the experience would have sort of uh, uh, taught Donald Trump a lesson in humility, uh, but that it would appear to be a lesson too far for this president. <laughs> Political leaders with uh, uh, pointed fascinations for their own balconies don't tend to uh, end well career-wise. Um, you, <laughs> you touched upon uh, you touched upon his... Uh, 
uh, his return to the White House there, which for many seems a little too soon in terms of uh, uh, medical professionals across the uh, across the Twitter sphere. And otherwise, uh, you and I have known each other long enough to know that we uh, we don't tend to go in for conspiracy theories and otherwise. But uh, to what extent, in your opinion, would uh, any any sort of conspiracy regarding faking having the coronavirus or otherwise work in the president's favor in this situation? So there is no doubt about it, I think, that there are people who have raised the question as to whether this was um, a staged event. Did Donald Trump really ever have this? Was this just uh, um, an attempt to, 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 to play the virus for political gain? Mm. Um, I'm, I'm going to dismiss that um, simply because I, I don't believe that Donald Trump would have wanted for one minute to show that he had, that he was ailing in any way, that he could have got this. I think... Uh, Far better if he more more likely in terms of a conspiracy would be that if he had contracted this for it to have been totally denied and and not referred to. I don't think he would have faked having it to show some sort of dramatic recovery. Um, I think that when you consider the amount of people who have been seen to have come down with this in his entourage, um, the idea that this could be faked would be would be remarkable. And and you know, let's not raise the moon landing, um, but. Uh, uh, the idea that so I had many no intention people have, of gotten, doing so, yeah. <laughs> have gotten this, quite frankly, um, I, I don't think the, they would have all faked this, quite frankly. What is notable, I thought, and, and few people have mentioned this, so let me see if I can raise this, mm. is that when Donald Trump returned to the White House um, in that dramatic fashion, quite frankly, on Marine One and, and, and walked up the steps uh, and then addressed the nation, there was no mention of the First Lady mm. at all. Um, mm. You know, Melania Trump is the first lady of the United States. She apparently has this. She didn't attend Walter Reed Medical Hospital with the president, so far as anybody can tell. Nobody's seen sight or sound of her uh, since the diagnosis. One presumes she's at the White House, but if she is, how is she? One hopes she's well. Um, how is this affecting their, their child, Baron? Um, where is he in all this? Mm. Again, you know, there are, there are questions which aren't being asked. And in that void, people are making up their own facts. Um, now, of course, you know, this is an administration which likes its own facts um, when it suits. Um, but where is the president? So since he's returned to Washington on Monday night at about 5, 5.30, um, no one's seen him. Uh, there are various um, competing uh, accounts of where he is, what he's doing. Some people suggested that, oh, he's at the Oval Office. Then that was retracted. Then it was not. Then it was. Um, he's meant to be in the residence in seclusion, uh, but quite frankly, if he is not well enough to work at, in the Oval Office as president full time, uh, what does that tell you? Many mm. people who looked at the video of him uh, standing on the balcony at the White House on Monday night observed that he seemed to be having trouble breathing on one or two occasions. Um, now, if you've just been diagnosed with COVID two or three days beforehand, that's not surprising. But mm. what is surprising is why on earth aren't you in hospital still? You know, when you consider the, the apparent trajectory of this disease by which it seems that it's, it's possible that you get it, you're diagnosed with it, um, you don't immediately demonstrate uh, symptoms and then mm. it can get a lot worse very quickly. One might imagine that with this being the president, they would want to keep him under the closest possible medical scrutiny. Now, whether that's happening behind closed doors in the in the residency at the White House is anybody's guess. No one's seen the president. No one's heard from the president. He is tweeting like crazy, of course. 
and the tone of his tweets are even more how can one put this um uh angry perhaps than ever quite frankly mm. a lot of caps mm. I, I, it appears that he's found the cap lock button on his uh, on his iphone if that's what he uses i imagine uh, i can't make these on blackberry these days um <laughs> and he's tweeting furiously uh he has uh, ensured that the republicans have walked away from a deal with the democrats that would have introduced um a a, a package deal to try to um aid americans suffering from covid um and but this is all going on behind closed doors so mm. where is he what's he up to how is he how are the people around him um one wishes him well one hopes that he is in uh, in good spirits but quite frankly when you consider the trajectory of this disease and how it has um had a, a, a terrible impact on other people one has to wonder why on earth he isn't um being uh, taken care of as close as possible at walter reed which was clearly the best place possibly for him to be from a health point of view, if not necessarily from a political point of view. Hmm. I admire you as ever for managing to separate the office from the man in this regard. Um, I'd like to pick up on one little element there, uh, that, that you co- uh, both elements that you covered, but in order. The one is this, this standing in the way of the COVID relief bill as, as perceived uh, in this uh, hour of history. And the other, finally, would be the, uh, the tapes that were released of Melania around the, uh, the children being separated from their parents and otherwise that was released by a, a former aide to Melania. I just wanted your, your thoughts on, on those two points and this sense that perhaps we're, uh, as, as usual, we're being drawn to look at the, uh, the, what Trump would like us to look at rather than, rather than where we should be looking in terms of the, uh, the roving searchlight. Yeah, so one of the one of the great gifts that Donald Trump has, which you have to acknowledge, I think, and whatever you feel about his politics, is he has a a remarkable and innate capacity to to drive the narrative. Uh, he is, of course, the president of the United States. He does possess what Theodore Roosevelt called the bully pulpit, and he is using it tremendously. Um, again, whether you approve of his politics or not is almost irrelevant. He has long had this ability to drive a narrative. He, he did so before he was president. Um, he, of course, um, had that uh, ability when Barack Obama was president, and he, of course, was driving the, the birther narrative at one point. And ever since he descended that um, gold uh, uh, escalator in the, um, uh, in the Trump Tower back in, what's that, 2015, I guess, he has been driving the narrative, and he continues to do so today. So much so that news events and stories which uh, were detrimental to the president, not least of which, of course, was the New York Times reporting about the amount of federal income tax he paid, uh, stories about uh, Melania Trump and what she has apparently said on tape, uh, which also includes uh, uh, attacking the president's former alleged mistresses, um, suddenly seems like old news almost immediately. Uh, We are, of course, focusing here in the United States upon the president's health, uh, how that uh, will bear out in the election, uh, the, uh, the the growing importance thereof of uh, of the vice presidential nominees, uh, uh, Kamala Harris for the Democrats and uh, Mike Pence for the Republicans, uh, mm. because you know one of the great uh, the great challenges is uh, and the great questions is has there ever been an American presidential election in which the health of the vice presidents is more important? because of, a, of a, an almost an unspoken concern that they themselves could easily become president um, 
in the coming four years because of the, the age and health of the presidents that they would be serving in the, the election uh, to take place in November. And, you know, this is clearly a, a matter of uh, not just domestic politics, but uh, of national security uh, because of the health of the president, uh, the health of the nominees, uh, and how it is that uh, health issues will play into an ability to uh, perform the duties of the presidency um, come, uh, come January 20th, uh, 2021. That's it for this week's American Chronicle, a chronicle that looked back upon a week, the plot of which, had it been pitched by a scriptwriter for a, a Hollywood TV series, would have been resolutely rejected and uh, seen said writer fired immediately on the spot. This has been a 12th Peer Production 2020 with music by Chris Warner. Until next Thursday then, good luck, now more than ever, and ever onward to you all. <laughs>